Welcome to this week's Yes Minister edition of Spin Cycle. <laughs> that joke um, may only be relevant to anyone over 40, but kind of get what we're saying. Uh, broadcasting from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, always was, always will be. I'm Jess Lilly and in the studio with Crikey reporter Charlie Lewis. How are you, Charlie? I'm okay. I, I'm, I've been looking forward to this show all day. I mean, I always look forward to our show, but I feel like we've got so much to get into tonight. It'll be a, it'll be a cracker, a barnstormer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, um, we were sort of tossing around uh, who to invite on the show tonight and then we just said, you know what, there's so much to talk, talk about <laughs> and uh, I have so many questions as someone who is not a jobbing journo at the moment that I thought this could be a great... <laughs> This could be a great info session for me personally (laughs) before I continue to shoot my mouth off on Twitter uh, to understand how the hell certain things in the media happen the way they do to give us the highs and lows, the joys, the cake, the, the cake that has been this week. It does feel like a bit of a gift in some ways. Oh, I mean, from, in terms of, in terms of, Content, which unfortunately is a way that, again, I think uh, hopefully my my role tonight can be to introduce people to a, a, a relatively advanced state of of journo brain and what that does to you and how you think about things. Yeah, which is a good state to be. I mean, that's the point of this show a little bit is just to unpack the um, the 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 why around some of the decisions the media make because I do. You look at an event like you know what's happening with Morrison, and we will get onto that in a minute. Um, what's happened this week, and you can understand. Um, how, you know, a, a direct line from that might be to the numbers around mistrust of, in the media. Oh, yeah. The, oh, for sure. Know. For sure. No, I mean, the, the the anyone who takes a conspiratorial view of what's come to light in the last week, uh, you, you you couldn't say that they are being completely irrational with that. Mm. There's, an, there's, there's a few obvious lines to draw, but as mm. I say, we're going to... We're going to get into all that in good time, I'm sure. So we will be talking about. about the, oh, and also um, we should we should acknowledge uh, we are again without uh, our oh, darling Najma, who is she's running with the devils in Tasmania <laughs> this week. <laughs> who knows whether she'll resurface or not? <laughs> Hopefully, she will, and um, and come and join us again shortly. Um, we will uh, just um, because we we don't have a guest later on. So just to give ourselves some kind of structure, structure we will of course be talking about you know the the um, messy merging of of media and power that has come to light um, via this um, sort of you know um, the book that has recollected two years in the government. Government Morrison government from twenty to twenty two, I guess. Um, but we're also going to have a little bit of a chat uh, later on about the kinds of stories that don't get told in the media. There's um, a report that came out um, this week, um, which is which is really incredible. The data um, in this report called "Engendering Justice," which looks at um, the skyrocketing rates of imprisonment of women in Queensland and, uh, you know, that I just want to have a bit of a chat later on about mm-hmm. why that hasn't had so much media coverage. We will be talking about John Howard. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, you, you can do the snore, you can do the snore sound effect. I prepared some stuff because I thought you really wanted to talk about John Howard. <laughs> I, just because I rant at you about... <laughs> Doesn't mean I want to contribute to his ongoing presence in the media. Um, and also, Crikey is making the news. We are, yeah, we are. Um, so we the well international yeah. news because <laughs> you're being sued. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we will talk about that later as well. I think before we um, wade into the Morrison saga, we should give it a little bit of context because mm-hmm. I think it, the timeline is very interesting. It's, it's it's sort of key to an understanding mm. of, of 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 why people, of why this is significant and, and why people are furious about it. And also, it does it does sort of feed into the the media angle that is we're going to sort of interrogate um, over the course of hopefully not too much of the next hour. Um, yes, so. The I, the strange thing is, and, and, and my, my my colleague Bernard Keane wrote this in, in, in Crikey and then in a book um, last year, which was the thing about Morrison and his relationship with the truth, which is so distinct and so strange. 
when you say a politician lies, that that gets a bit of a shrug from most people. Everyone goes, "Of course they do." Everyone, mm. all all of them do. The ones the ones that you like lie. The ones you don't like lie. Everyone goes, "What what's the big deal?" The thing that was always striking about Morrison's um, relationship with 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 the truth. And the reason that we tried to kind of really call attention to it with the with the the the, the, um, the dossier of lies and falsehoods, and then and then the book that kind of came out of that, is it's an unusual level of of dishonesty and deceit, where he would lie about things that one he didn't have to lie about, things that actually weren't in weren't there was no reason for him to lie about certain things that he lied mm. about, and the, and and the other thing that was baffling to watch was he would lie about things that he had to know he could get caught out on, mm. that were actually demonstrably untrue, and a Google search could make you could 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 prove that fact, um, and in some ways there's an element of that in in this whole story about. Uh, Scott Morrison, the revelations this week we've had that Scott Morrison um, appointed himself entire, basically in secret to several ministries without letting the public know. And in some cases without letting the ministers who already who already had those, um, those portfolios know about it, is that when this first started, it was in March 2020. Uh, Can we go back to the... <laughs> I'm already interrupting you, Charlie. <laughs> the The reason it started, though, was because um, the there was a Biosecurities Act that was introduced, wasn't there, that actually beefed up the response. But years or earlier, before there was any um, right, yeah, yeah, uh, yes, so, so, yes, of, no. The, the that's a very that's, that that's, that is a worthwhile bit of um, a bit of context. Actually, there are there are. I just there, find it fascinating that Australia's um, all our governments, federal and and state, love love a, a good sort of you know copping a little a little cop a little, little centralising of power. Yeah, I mean, yeah, power I mean, laws. It, like, and it is actually worth noting that it was the, the two. Off the top of my head, there are no two departments that have got more more what are both called literally extraordinary powers. There are no two departments that have that more than health and home affairs. Yes. I mean, home affairs, obviously, we, we saw that, that that didn't exist five years ago. Yeah. That was that was a That's consolidation right. of a huge number of disparate department, uh, departments that were, were corralled under Peter Dutton's view to keep him happy. Um, when Malcolm Turnbull was prime minister, it didn't quite take, unfortunately, for, for Turnbull. I love um, the way we said this was going to be a quick timeline. But... In 2015. Well, I wasn't the one jumping in with <laughs> no, context. But I, well, I don't know. In 2015, this, well before there was any kind of health security issue, this Biosecurities Act was introduced, wasn't it? That gave um, an inordinate uh, amount of power to the health minister mm-hmm. in the event of a, um, you know, any kind of, you know, Pandemic-y any, any kind of any kind of twenty twenty style um, fuckery. Yeah, um, exactly. That's, uh, yes, that's yeah. in, that's what's written in the like, <laughs> that's what's written in, in the legislation. Um, so what followed in in March twenty twenty was that we obviously had this new um, extraordinary disease that was much more deadly than most respiratory issues that were around at the time and that anyone could catch. There wasn't a huge amount known about it. They, the government, a, a, a group of kind of power brokers within the government, not power brokers, but powerful people within the government, got together and decided it would be a prudent move to c- appoint Scott Morrison essentially co-health minister. When you mean a group of power brokers, that is Christian Porter. Christian Porter, Greg Hunt, Greg Hunt the health minister at the time. And Scott Morrison. Scott Morrison. Sitting co- around with their whiskeys, smoking a few cigars in their <laughs> men's – I'm just setting the scene. I'm just setting, in <laughs> yeah, their men's I, I, club. Cackling. Ca- um, yeah. Yeah, sort of ch- tossing gold coins between one hand and the other. Yes. Um, yeah, yes. No, <laughs> they're probably actually it. praying. But anyway, uh, and let's well, move also on. Uh, pro- 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 <laughs> almost certainly Phil Gatons from the um, Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet and uh, Governor General David Hurley would also have been involved in and these just conversations. Just a couple of journalists. But anyway, let's. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there, <laughs> Jess. They they came up with the idea that it was a, would be a prudent move to co-appoint Scott Morrison as health minister, um, in case in case Greg Hunt became essentially incapacitated in case he caught COVID and he got a very bad case of it. And because and, they'd and watched the Gwyneth Paltrow movie, they, they, had they watched knew contag- what was happening. <laughs> What's uh, it called? Contagion. Contagion, I believe. Contagion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
which again is not actually if if you if we if we cast our minds back now covid in the thousands is kind of a bit of a mundane day-to-day process oh we were afraid of but but we were all and i think with great justification genuinely very afraid of what all of this could mean and this is the thing this is the thing if they had publicly declared that this Mm -hmm. was what they were doing at the time this probably would have they would have been able to you know yes there would have been some um, grumbling but actually ministers have held multiple portfolios um Mm. the famously tony abbott the minister for women um Mm. The, Gough Whitlam held about 27 portfolios when he first got into power. Well, there you go. So and you don't hear the left complaining about <laughs> that, do you? <laughs> but the, you know, I mean, this is the this is the argument. Ostensibly, if they just if he'd left it at that, it would have been fine. Yeah, yeah. You could you can say that there's this problem or that problem with the idea, but it's something that is a, a defensible policy and 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 strategic move for the government to make in a time of crisis, which is which is which is what. Morrison has lent on since it all became public. What that doesn't explain is why in the hell this was not made public at the time. Uh, that's, that is something that no one has been able to satisfactorily um, explain to anyone. Well, no, I mean, Morrison did because he wrote a 7,000-word Facebook post about it <laughs> and then went on to deliver a 6,000-hour sermon via, sorry, press press conference. But we're, we, doing we, a very, we're going to get there. We're it's a very Tarantino-esque <laughs> approach to the story we're doing tonight, which it's, I quite like. We're, we're, we're jumping forward, we're jumping back. Um, but then what? I, this is the next bit I love because um, – Christian Porter, who, um, you know, a stand-up guy, uh, has <laughs> shown Morrison how to do this. And Morrison then just went off and did it without yeah. by himself. Well, this is, I mean, this is the... This the, is the, the again, bit that the, where the, you just the, go, whoa, dude. The, the, and, and again, this is the timeline. I, th- I, I, I can't quite remember how my, uh, about how Bernard put this, but it was like... It's kind of he was like constructing one piece at a time, this prison for himself, where it's like, okay, you don't tell anyone when you first do it. That's bad, but you can still get away with it. Two weeks later, he appoints himself the finance minister. Yeah. Again, if he'd done it at that stage, he said, oh, by the way, I made myself health minister for these reasons. Again, people, I think, would be a bit mad. No, It would have been a bit of a hassle for the government. Uh, No, I think at that point people would have been like, given – I think that's some retrospective logic. I think given who he was and how he was – it would have stopped there. I think because people would have just been like, "What? What are you doing?" Potentially, potentially. There's no need in a in a health pandemic for you to be the finance minister. You have a cabinet yes, of ministers, yes. and you can elect a new finance minister. You could take yeah, it to yeah, cabinet yeah, yeah, yeah. if yeah. something happened to the finance minister. You're basically yeah, uh, yeah. Now yeah. you're getting mm. a little bit cray cray. Is what people would have said. <laughs> so well, no, I mean, I mean, it would and, not and, have been just. And then, Jess, I just want you to imagine what they would have said had <laughs> they known that in six months he was also going to appoint himself treasurer co-treasurer and uh co-resources minister and uh home affairs minister i just really want to see the i mean i i wish we had um i wish we hadn't gutted the abc because (laughs) and also stacked the board with some certain people but i would love to see the timeline documentary where as he's doing this behind closed doors, we're mm. seeing Smirky Smirk face <laughs> and what he's saying publicly, like literally on that day and what well, I, I, and is, what these journalists are reporting on that day, you know? One of the um, points, I, I, I must admit, I can't remember quite where I've seen this. We, we, did, a look, we did a look, in, in Crikey, we did a, look, a collation of how the international media is, is responding to this, which is always quite good fun to see how we're being represented in, in international uh, publications. And and one of them sort of surmised it quite quite tersely, I think. They were like, it's strange that Morrison, who had airily spoken about how little, how few things were actually his job during a time of crisis, apparently has given himself five extra ones yeah, without yeah. anyone knowing. And again, I don't again, hold a yeah. hose. I just hold all the ministries. I just hold some ministries, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what happened next? <laughs> Well, the reason, yes, the reason, yes, uh, (laughs) sort of 15 minutes of throat clearing on this one. We were literally said at the beginning, 
<laughs> just before the show, we were like, let's just do a really quick timeline. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get but there. I, I think no, I think it's very important to yeah. set that 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 um, that scene for yes. people. Yeah. Um, so the reason that all of this came out is that the Australian has started exerting basically a new book by two of their kind of more senior journalists. Sorry, I'm putting my hand up. So hang on a second. I want the timeline timeline. So because it didn't all, he didn't just appoint himself in all the other ministries at once because there was two in 2020, I think. Yeah, and then another, and then three, another three in 2021. 2021 mm-hmm. after the election was called. Was it? Or before? No, no before. way before. Way before. Okay, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Moving on. So two, two of the senior Australian journalists, Simon Benson and Jeff Chambers, uh, uh, have got a new book coming out called Plagued, which is uh, an account, an insider account. I, I, I believe you have the, the, the blurb. I do, uh, I do. And when we say two senior journalists, one is the chief political reporter and one is political editor. So they're not just, you know. Oh, they're, they're of- senior in the, in the true sense of the, yep. of the word, yeah. This is the inside story of Australia's two years of hell when the country was besieged by crisis after crisis and a rolling series of challenges and setbacks. Much of what took place behind the scenes will astonish the public. Plagued reveals how the critical decisions were actually made, decisions that will forever change the nation's place in the world. The bit that's interesting. In early 2020, COVID-19 breached Australian shores, triggering twin crises, health and economic Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Simon Benson and Jeff Chambers, two of Australia's top political journalists, were granted exclusive access to the crucial machinations of government at the country's highest levels, not just within the corridors of power, but also behind doors normally sealed. They delve into the depths of power, the cabinet room, to reveal how the decisions that would change the course of Australian history were actually made. I think the interesting point to note is they were also, at that time, continuing to report as journalists or as political. Mm -hmm. They were continuing in their roles as political reporters at The Australian, which I love to say is the national masthead that no one reads. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, this is where it starts to get a little bit like uh, what is going on because essentially Morrison dropped them in it a little bit, didn't he, Charlie? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the – and we may get to the, the, the press conference a bit later, but uh, he uh, was eventually forced to do a quite long press conference sort of addressing all of these issues Um and one of the things he said, which actually I had a little bit of a kind of pang of sympathy for him, was uh, he people said, "Why didn't you disclose this?" And he went, "Well, I did disclose it. I told I told two two senior journalists at the the national broadsheet." Uh, that that appears. You have sympathy, Charlie, because what he's doing is. I mean, a chess move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's a very slippery, <laughs> very political move. Um, yeah. uh, because who knows what else? I'm sure their their access at that point would have ceased if they had made those revelations well, clear at the time. Uh, but then, what's interesting about that is that if you read the piece that came out, and everyone went, "Wait, what?" Wait a minute. It's not written as though it's a shocking or chilling demonstration of uh, Morrison's overreach or his addiction to power or anything like that. So this is back to the timeline. Just was it last week um, mm-hmm. the book was launched or, you know, pre- launched. Yeah, launched with excerpts because it's in bookshops. That's I got the blurb by taking a photo in my bookshop this afternoon <laughs> um, with excerpts published in The Australian. And this wasn't one of the first – Things that they that they accept. From no, the book. You, you actually. I mean, you, you, I must admit, you 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 uh, you surprised me there. I actually didn't know that. The first I'd heard about it was this <laughs> this revelation. Um, so they didn't even think it was the juiciest thing they had in their book. I mean, I, I suspect it was it was very much written as a. I think one thing we should say to sort of let. Um, Benson and Chambers off the hook a little bit is that a lot of the stuff that we know has actually come about because of Albanese um, doing an internal investigation in the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet to find out what other roles he had. Mm. So I, I, it's not All entirely... All the revelations have not come from the book. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like they knew he had over several years deceived his his colleagues necessarily. Maybe they did know that, but that's not what the mm. book kind of sets out. They set out the the um 
And it's only that kind of, and again, I get it. Journos love this shit. It's like, it's set out in that very breathless front row to history kind of, I was there when these decisions were made sort of tone about him becoming co-health minister. Again, that is, they are writing about the most sort of um, defensible, I guess, of all those moves. So the but, so perhaps the the so the way that yeah the way that it came about was them writing it as though look at what you know Morrison was willing to stand Morrison was was willing to take their fall yeah and, and what he an was, extraordinary time it was for Australian yeah, government yeah, yeah 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 so he was he was the guy who was putting himself on the front line despite the fact that everyone said he went was, away from all of his <laughs> yeah. challenges so in a way it was almost course correcting. The public perception of who he was while he was prime minister, potentially yeah. inadvertently, possibly dropped him in it. Yeah, quite quite possibly. I mean, again, I, I, I this is all speculation. Obviously, we have to be very clear about that. I, yeah, I've, I've not spoken to either of them. Scott Morrison has not spoken to anyone at Crikey <laughs> for at least three years. Um, but I'm, but there is an there is an element that yes, that there is a um, what you could see as a slightly mutually beneficial element to this relationship where um, someone is depicted in a way that makes them look like a strong leader and that the person who is going to provide that coverage is provided with access to things that no other journalist could be possibly allowed to see. So I guess we're at the point where we think, well, obviously this is the way that it was received and the way that it's blown up possibly is not how either Morrison or the authors of the book and the political editor and political chief correspondent of The Australian, (laughs) going to keep saying that, might have perceived that it would be received. Mm. But it does – what happened was that Morrison, after – um, writing a very long Facebook um, post to try and just justify himself, did then give a press conference, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, he did um, drop them in a, a little bit by saying he wanted to this extraordinary time in history to be recorded contemporaneously. Yeah. Um, and so those those journalists who are the authors of this book had access to him this all of this this they wrote the book they they did the interviews contemporaneously mm-hmm. so they knew of this stuff whilst yeah. they were also in these roles as you know very high up political correspondents for the Australian you know leading up to an election my question charlie yes <laughs> is ethically <laughs> that just Feels a bit wrong. I mean, I know that, um, and I've seen these sorts of conversations this week on cho- social media. There's a number, you know, people in the in the media are saying, well, you know, if you have a source for mm-hmm. a story, or you know, in this case, a book, um, you have to protect the source. You have to make them feel confident that they're going, yeah. that you're trustworthy, that you're not going to, um, that you know that that. You, that you can be trusted with their story. Mm-hmm. In this case, you know, when you are telling the story of the Prime Minister of the country during the pandemic, there are no other sources. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there yeah. is but one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the argument goes, well, you know, they were protecting their source. Fine, as authors of a book. But as journalists, as political journalists who are, um, you know, heavily influencing a um, an election campaign, and you know a a, a pretty um, a, an enormously opinionated kind of point of view within their mm-hmm. within their masthead. Is, there's just something that just doesn't seem quite right about that. What do, what are your? I mean, I'm really interested to as someone who works within the media. Then maybe there's a different kind of um, perspective that you can br- bring to this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. That there is there is some understanding as another journalist when you see something like that happening that you go, yeah. What well, there's I think there's a distinction to be drawn between protecting a source and cultivating a source. I think those are two different things, and I don't think you protect the prime minister of Australia. You, they, he he needs no protection. He is Scott Morrison is is a is a, an objectively very powerful person who has a platform and can protect themselves. He's They're, no whistleblower. I think anyone who has access to um, anyone who has access to parliamentary privilege 
um, immediately stops being someone that you have to do a lot to protect in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they are someone that you can defensibly, I'd say, argue that you want to cultivate, that you that you want to make sure that you maintain an access to the information that they will give you. Because you can tell yourself, if if Morrison doesn't give it to us, he's not giving it to anyone. These it, two reporters historically had a lot of access. Yeah, right? I don't I, – I mean, I'm not as familiar with, with, with Jeff Chambers' work. I mean, Simon Benson is someone that um, – it's famous. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I do him any injustice by saying this. He's someone who is is sort of well-known for – having a very direct line to the government of the day. I think the political editor of The Australian will always have that kind of access. Um, That's very diplomatic, Charlie. Um, (laughs) Well, let's just say a lot of speeches appear in The Australian under his byline before they are are told. A lot of policy announcements get their first airing under Simon Benson's um, byline. I don't think yes. I need to. I think yes. maybe it's pretty clear his 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 role. And that's and that's and by the way, that's also true for for other papers um, and other reporters and other reporters. That that is part of the, that is part of the game that you are, you sign yourself up to as part of the press gallery. Um, and, and and there are very very bad things about that, obviously, that are attached to it. Uh, but it's not that unusual. Benson is a very very prominent example. Yeah. Of, of that kind of relationship. And that does always kind of raise those sorts of questions when something that appears to be objectively in the public interest to know, i.e. the prime minister is secretly awarding themselves ministries, in some cases without the knowledge of the minister themselves, and that information doesn't come out until 18 months later, then you can argue that's a a very problematically closey relationship between those two writers. And and whether you're still doing your job as someone who's supposed to hold figures of, of power to account, again, those are, those, are, those are questions you can ask. I think they're questions that have to be asked and I mm. think it's an absolute failing of um, both of those, um, you know, journalists at The Australian for going along with this and for... Not at, at least not you know a lot of journalists excuse themselves from their job for three months to write a book or whatever mm, it might be mm, mm. to to have to sit on that kind of information um, knowingly and um, and continue in a pretty kind of uh, brutal combative election campaign that you know let's be honest no one was convinced a hundred percent convinced which way it was going to go mm-hmm. and knowing that um, the current <laughs> then current Prime Minister, was withholding um, these sort of actions that he'd taken from his own parliamentary ministers and then as an editorial position saying that he was the most trustworthy person what? to become the next Prime Minister of Australia, I think they've got a huge amount of questions I, to and, and what's, answer. And I guess that, that does point to the other, the other kind of um, the mechanics of it and who knew what when. There, there's been a lot of people talking on Twitter who sort of follow these things about saying, well, if I were his editor, I would be furious. They'd be out on their ass by the end of the day. Um, it's amazing the amount of content they've just given but, their but, employer. But that, yeah. Well, that, exactly. <laughs> so I wonder if, yeah. So that, that it's really interesting to note. Obviously, at some point between that book being written and that excerpt being published, the editors of the Australian had to know that this information. We don't know how long before that they knew this. Potentially, they thought, you know, look, now he's not prime minister anymore. Who cares? You know, like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. on it's, the back it, bench. It, it, and, he's and, not in. He's not. You know, it's a worthwhile insight into the mechanics of government yeah. after the event. Yeah. So, and it's going to get a lot of attention one way or the other. It's it's it's. It's, it's yeah. Again, I I, I, I I have no no knowledge of the inner workings of the Australian on this one. It would be very interesting to know when Christopher Dore knew, knew about this stuff, mm. as opposed to when the journalists knew. Absolutely. Independent Melbourne Radio Three Triple R. Charlie, have you ever been in a newsroom or you know in a conversation with your an editor where you've decided to? hold something back or not publish something or not tell a story that, um, you know, could be argued as something that is in, as they say... The The public interest. The public interest. (laughs) Wow, what a... (laughs) That's a real on-the-spot question. Well, I'm just interested because I'm really genuinely interested to know how, you know, given that um, 
Yeah, we we know what the state of of the media was um, in the lead up to the election, and it was a real no gloves. Oh, sorry, gloves off. Trying to, you know, that full gotcha journalism. Yeah, it was. Press, it was it, yeah, yeah, it was a very. It was a particularly hoarse. We sort of forget now. It was an incredibly hoarse and kind of shrill media approach to a lot of that that election. Yeah. And it, and it, you know, really. Information that could bring, I well, I thought either leader down, but you know, particularly there was a lot of attempts at, you know, um, um, sort of kicking, <laughs> kicking the wind out of um, Albanese, but also, you know, I suppose on the uh, the other side as well, trying to find the General Morrison. All of that was going on, mm-hmm. and it's just fascinating to know that. You know, these two journalists who held these incredibly senior political positions were sitting on something that could have, you know, a lot of as cabinet minister, current sort of minister, not ministers, sorry, government, current um, members of the um, the LNP are saying if they'd known... They would have tried to roll They would him. have rolled. Yeah. They would have yeah. uh, had a no, vote of no confidence in Morrison. Um, I just find that fascinating. I do. And, and, and again, I mean... Post-election coverage always gives everyone involved a bit of a chance to launder their reputations. So who knows if they they stood by him through other things that mm. would, 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 that a reasonable person would argue you ought to really kick up a fuss about. So who knows? Who knows? Karen Andrews is, I think, sincere <laughs> in, her, in her visceral uh, fury at well, what Well, he happened. made her um, that put is, out yeah, that boat yeah. information mm. on um, election day. You know, could you imagine the pressure that he put mm-hmm. her under on election day? When really he could have just done it could, himself. It turns out he had the he one hundred percent had the authority to do it himself. Yeah. But yeah, have you ever felt like you've been put in a compromise? Or no, or chosen to withhold? No, I shouldn't say that chosen to because that would go to your journalistic integrity. Um, but have you ever been in a position where you've seen someone or been close to that? Or oh, I've one hundred percent said, look, I'd rather not tell you where I got this from until mm. I until either I firmed it up or. Or, or, you know, or I've got it from a few different places because it would be bad for this person to be identified in this piece. 100% I've done that. And every, mm. and I think, and again, I think you're, you're giving me too tempting an option to paint myself as some kind of heroic journalist here, <laughs> which I'm, I, I promise I'm not trying to say. But again, I think it does go to the, the difference between um, uh, protecting and cultivating a source. And there are yeah. different processes. And I think if I were cultivating a source, if I've been talking to a politician and thinking, actually, this could be quite good, or not even a politician, like a, 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 someone with a bit of power and a bit of heft behind them who knows some good things that would be good for us to report, I, I would say, all right, well, I want to keep this person happy. Um, I, I don't think I've, I've, that would never have affected the, 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 the coverage I would give to anyone. But it might, it, I might hold back that information, say, from an editor until I knew for sure what I was being told was 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 solid and yeah. could be used. Yeah, it's such a fascinating um, process, and it it just makes you realise um, how the the flow of information is actually incredibly controlled. You know, oh, yeah. it yeah. feels like it feels like stuff is just blurting out all over the place, <laughs> but really, it's not. It's it's. Um, it's all that's what i find so fascinating about this that this is a time, this is a a controlled book launch <laughs> perhaps not the sort of book launch they were hoping for but speaking of, of book launches <laughs> our former prime oh, minister God. john howard we we have to get there eventually we have to do this eventually don't make me do it <laughs> um well yes I, I i mean it was kind of it was kind of fun that he's he's um sort of Crown PR moment for his book launch was kind of derailed because um, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was on the, um, he was ostensibly booked on the seven thirty report to talk about his book, right? Yeah, Morrison was not was not content to to ruin his current colleagues' days. He reached back into Parliament prior to his uh, his time in Parliament and ruined the the last Prime Minister before he he got elected. Uh, but yes. Um, a Sense of Balance is the new book from John Howard. Uh, sense of Balance. <laughs> and he went on Did on he write this or did someone else write this? No, he wrote this. He wrote this. Uh, this is his book. Um, what's it about? Well, he went on um, <laughs> 7.30 desperate to talk about that. <laughs> and then, of course, he got uh, confronted with um, – Sarah Ferguson, uh, who had the who had you know a bit to work with that night, as it turned out, and I, it was it was lovely. I think you know 
he he sort of he was sort of de- batting away questions and trying to deal with them as they came along. And at a certain point, <laughs> it's it's just a lovely bit, and you can you can go find the transcript or go rewatch it. Um, how it sort of says, "I I don't want to be combative." Um, and then Ferguson's like, "No, do I, sir?" And he's like, "But I I thought we were going to talk about my book." <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, she's like, well, there's there's lots of things that we can talk about tonight. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know. But I don't want to suggest that I've been brought here under false pretenses, <laughs> which I think was very, very funny. Um, yeah. um, what's annoying me about this book launch is that he seems to be um, – it's fine. For, so he says that – okay, this is, makes me even angrier because, yeah, yeah. you know, he, he uses that as an excuse not to talk about the – shit fest that Morrison has dropped the party in at the moment. Mm. But then Mm. he's happy to opine about every single current um, issue facing, you know, the government or any, you know, any, every single political discussion when it suits him, you know, like I cannot get away from John Howard says, whether it's about, you know, mining uranium or <laughs> or the referendum or, you know, just the anything. The voice to parliament. Voice referendum. to parliament. Yeah. yeah, anything. It's just like promote your book. That's fine. Go on mm. the book circle, circuit. Do the writers' festivals. I'm sure the reason you have to go to the mainstream media is because most of the writers' festivals probably aren't booking you, but that's fine. But why? Why is he now entering the news cycle as someone with a, you know, like current politicians are briefed to know about the news of the the issues of the day. Yeah. That's their job. Their job is to make decisions. That's why they need to talk about it. Why are we asking him? Well, I think, I think you know, this is an, an, an area where you and I kind of maybe different. I think it might, again, be I, down to my journo brain. Well, yeah, no, it's um, probably my ignorance. Like I, I just don't, no, open no, no, the paper and go, it's, it's, why do I have to hear his point of view on this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like, so I, mean, I should preface this by saying, you know, I think my personal views on Howard, I, I, I think there's, with the exception of gun control, which I think was an incredibly admirable and brave policy stance to take at the time, there's, there's, Almost everything that's bad about modern Australian politics can be traced directly to his mm-hmm. his approach to refugees and to indigenous issues and uh, to God it, the wiping out of industrial relations protections for employees. Like like so much of it is 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 down to him. But I but I would say as 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 a journalist, you kind of do think, well, God, if someone who was prime minister for eleven years has a new book coming out, there's this issue that I want to know more about what climate the climate crisis yeah i'm gonna I mean, go like, to like, 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 i'm like, gonna like, go like, to john look, howard on the climate crisis look, why I, I, again i i mean I, as i say i mean he, 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 i thought for example the, the 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 interview that i quoted from before with sarah ferguson on 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 7 30 i thought was an was an entirely appropriate use of that forum sure where he went on to that and he was genuinely interrogated on his views to the extent where he got a little bit annoyed and was like, can I just talk about the insights in my book? Mm. But I do, I would argue that, I mean, one, it's, it's, it's a, an unavoidable in some ways part of the, of the content cycle of any, um, uh, scandal that afflicts a sitting prime minister is that they find every prime minister that's still alive, they go, who's got his phone number? I guarantee you. Yeah. I guarantee you. I mean, we've you. heard a lot from, um, you know, Malcolm gleefully put his two cents. And again, also, you know, like another Turnbull was someone who used the opportunity to to also kind of puff up his own credentials when he was prime minister, which I think is, you know, and something that motivates a lot of former prime ministers when they're asked about current. John Hewson just quietly writes his column in the Saturday paper <laughs> yeah. every week. Um, yeah, uh, obviously Kevin, Kevin Rudd has his views on on, on various things. On things. Um, on, <laughs> on, I, I, on Murdoch and Tings. Yeah, uh, which again we'll, we'll we'll get to soon. Yeah. Um, and Julie Gillard maintains an incredibly dignified silence <laughs> on most of these issues. Uh-huh. It's kind of like the way that these, this, uh, yeah. And you might get a good little zinger out of Paul Keating from time to time about <laughs> this or that issue. So in a way, it's like it's 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 w- whether or not you think that John Howard is uh, 
a an authority on any of these issues, it's it would be very strange if he was shilling his book and no one said, what do you think about the current state of this issue or that issue? Because he, he is, for one reason or another, uh, for various reasons, he is someone that has actually perhaps got uh. some status, some stake in the game and has... Influenced the, he's influenced the, the conversation so much to this point that it's important to know. It would have been uh, here. All right, let's put it this way. Things have changed. Move well, on. But, but that's Goodbye. What, put him in the mausoleum. What I was See you gonna, later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but to be fair, if he I had said, as say, if he'd done a similar thing to say how say Turnbull did, where Turnbull said, "I'm 100 percent in favour of a voice to Parliament, and this is why I really regret." phrasing it the way I did at the time. I mean, I have some, I have my issues with yeah. the way that he did that. But mm-hmm. but let's just say that John Howard, when actually I've had I time... I have the I've same had amount to... of issue with Turnbull. Like, just, you've had your time. <laughs> Goodbye. You know, you've been voted out of the House. Imagine... No, well, he, was, you know, he was never voted out, to be <laughs> Well, fair. that's true. That's he was, true. He was yeah. knifed by his party and he quit. Um... And we've never um, finished hearing the end of it. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, and then the other, the other, the other note I want to make is that I love that they got a hold of of uh, Tony Abbott in his oh, current God. role in we England. Forgot about, we always forget about Abbott. I never when forget you... about Abbott. I'm thinking about that guy like <laughs> like 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 at least once a day. But my my, my favorite part of that but was you that, know, but you do when you do the whole roll call, the roll of, call past of prime ministers, oh. you always forget about Abbott until the then you go, oh God, how could I forget about that big guy <laughs> in a swimsuit? Was that he was like, oh, that was a bit weird. And I think when you get him to say something like that, you know that you kind oh, of erred from, about Morrison. Yeah, oh, about, that's so funny. About like yeah, um, listen, but it's, but it's but yes, it, it, I think they, they they will always. It would be very if, for example. John Howard had been asked about the voice to Parliament, and he'd said, "Actually, I've had a lot of time to reflect on this." <laughs> and he'd said, and it's, "It's maybe a, it's maybe a, you know, a, a long shot." But had he said that, that would actually be a really worthwhile contribution to the conversation right now. And the fact that he hasn't changed his mind doesn't make the question less worth posing. But also, it's just you know, I mean, it just is not newsworthy in my in my humble opinion, not so humble opinion. Um, Shall we talk about something else? <laughs> Sure. Other than um, shitty ex-prime ministers. Um, I'm sure there's more to come with, you know, that story, but I'm I'm kind of already over it. I think one of the um, one of the things that has popped up in the media for me this week, it's really interesting in its um, in its scarcity. I suppose um, there was mm-hmm. a report a report that came out called uh, Engendering Justice, and it was released on Wednesday by the Queensland Sentencing Advisory Council, and it showed some really incredibly um, full-on statistics um, that showed um, the reasons for that women are sentenced to prison in uh, in Queensland, and the you know I think the the most um, the most alarming statistic is, for a start, that um, women, the amount of women being sentenced to prison in Queensland increased by three hundred and thirty-eight percent. You know, it's that whole. Mm. Is can you go over one hundred percent? Apparently, you can. Uh, over the fourteen years to twenty nineteen, so that's even old. Three years ago. Um, with Aboriginal women making up a third of those cases. And what the statistics show is um, the the difference between the reasons Indigenous um, and or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are sentenced compared to white women are so stark. So mm-hmm. the top reason Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are sentenced are for, is for public nuisance. And then the next top reason is contravening the direction of a police officer and those two reasons make up 30 over 30 percent 34 percent of um of sentencing um offenses have got that result in prison uh whereas for white women it's possessing dangerous drugs and possessing um drug utensils and then shoplifting so mm-hmm. <laughs> The top two reasons – and then the third reason for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women is breach of bail or failure to appear. And it's just like for me, you know, we people often talk about um, institutionalised racism and, you know, as though it's a historic thing and it's like show us some examples and where's the data? And it's Mm. like, well, here's some living data right now that demonstrates – 
this is real and it's happening and it's getting yeah. worse. And, and the and the and the the examples that rise to the level of newspapers are not one-offs. They're not one. No, yeah. no, absolutely not in Queensland and this Western a, Australia. Yeah, predominantly. yes, yes, yes. Um, um, this is a systemic issue. Systemic issue, and it's it's you know it, it's institutional racism in the police. You know, police force. That's the issue. The only when you do a Google News search for this, the only two public publications that come up are the Guardian and the Courier Mail, and the Courier Mail fails to mention race at all. It just says more women in Queensland are being um, um, imprisoned for silly things like shoplifting. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't actually. And and I, I just find this like this report is. It's pretty phenomenal in terms of the proof that it gives to the fact that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that this exists. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and I, I'm just really disappointed it, in... It ought to be bigger news, yeah. Yeah, and the fact that it's not getting media attention more broadly. And I also just think, you know, the amount of media attention that was given to, um, you know, um, gender violence issues or gender issues with their proximity to Ca- Canberra, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you know, in terms of institutional institutional sexism or, you know, gender issues. And then those reporters who are in credit, there were so many reporters who were very dogged in pursuing them. And I just think where, you know, where are you in pursuing something like this? Like the data mm-hmm. is now there. It's so clear. You can't argue with the statistics. Yeah, yeah. And again, you don't want to ever um, sort of, because I think you know the reporting that came out around the, um, the, the broadly speaking, the March for Justice sort of movement um, across the last couple of years has been very, very, very impressive and very impactful. But this should, I but think you're right. This but, should but, roll but, onto but, that. But, that should roll into this. As a matter of principle, you would, you would. Where's really the like momentum? to see the exact same stuff being applied to different yeah they and, should be taking something like this up and yeah. you know and absolutely going like here here here's the proof mm-hmm. here's the proof you know i was just disappointed that um that um no other publications have covered it really yeah no. And there is one more story that we're going to talk about. Oh yeah! <laughs> before yeah. we leave, <laughs> Crikey has made international news. Charlie, can you tell us more? Uh, yes, uh, maybe slightly limited in, in the amount of detail I can go well, into. Well, at least tell us, give us the background as it's been covered, because it, it was uh, it's so funny. Like you know, we we have our spin cycle WhatsApp group. And on the weekend, I think it was on Sunday, I saw I was reading the Age article that mentioned um, Murdoch um, was uh, taking issue with Crikey uh, mm-hmm. and sent it to you. And I'm like, oh, look, Charlie, Crikey's made the news. Crikey. I, I think it's Crikey on like, Maine. It's like, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Crikey on the Maine. How patronising of me. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> no it's, that's mine because you're a cool indie, Charlie. You're a cool indie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The cool um, kids. <laughs> and then you were like, what? So tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, Give me the goss. I, I, I mean, so so – Essentially, so back in uh, late June, um, our politics editor Bernard Keane, who I think has gotten like three shout outs tonight, but I know, you know, I think you, I mean, don't want to say Charlie, but you're a little enamored. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that's probably fair to say. Um, so he wrote a piece that came out under the um, the headline uh, Trump. This is around the time of the uh, of the committee hearings about January six. In, in the US uh, and the piece that Bernard wrote said Trump is confirmed as an unhinged traitor and Murdoch is his unindicted co-conspirator mm. and so the argument was it that sounds very Bernard Keynes. <laughs> it, it does uh, I don't know if he came up with that headline he may well have um, essentially it, uh, it it's it said that uh, the um you're watching your the, words. I can. <laughs> Do you want me to the read events, the events? No, the events of uh, January six, the Capitol riot uh, from Trump supporters attacking the um, Capitol building in in Washington, were essentially, um, if not uh, caused by the coverage of Fox News, were at least yeah. sort of unimaginable in the in the way that they turned out 
uh, without that kind of coverage, geeing up his supporters in the way that they did. Yeah. Um, so they they, he, they concluded, and actually, one thing you will notice is that the the, the name Lachlan Murdoch does not turn up in this article. The way that um, Bernard phrases it is that if Trump ends up in the dock for a variety of crimes committed as president, as he should. Uh, not all his co-conspirators will be there. Nixon was famously the unindicted co-conspirator in Watergate. The Murdochs and their slew of poisonous Fox News commentators are the unindicted co-conspirators of this continuing crisis. You'd think he'd be nervous after the Alex Jones stuff, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, keep going. Tell us what's going on. The Alex Jones stuff? Well, you know how he's been – he recently had to shell out massively for misinformation. Yeah, he did because he went after the families of mass shooting victims. But that <laughs> opens the door, surely, to comb through – all of the many hours of crazed um, sort of commentary on all kinds of news channels. Oh, you mean you mean Murdoch himself? Yes, oh, I'm yes, sorry, I'm sorry. Yes. I thought that you said that we were more. No, no, um, no, 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 no. Murdoch, um, Murdoch. Right? Yeah. Um, Trying to shut stuff down before it happens, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that that um, well, we we we. Uh, we received uh, what's known as a concerns notice. A lot of this is actually a very, very, very common thing in Australian media that that people, particularly people with a bit of wealth behind them, send concerns notices to to, to uh, publications about about uh, articles that they don't like. Um, and this was one. And, and and as a smaller publication, you know, sometimes you have to weigh up the 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 issues there, and you say, well, maybe we'll take this one down. This time, mm-hmm. we sort of said, actually, no, we're going to keep it up. Um, well, well. To be fair, we took it down and now we've put it back up <laughs> to uh, to clarify what the what the reporting um, about this issue was. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where you sort of say, if you don't fight on this one, what are you going to fight on? Um, so we'll see what we'll see. How we'll, I, next, again, again, I, next, I, 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 there's there's a limit to how much I can say about yeah, all of this, but we'll really see what happens next. Well, that is a developing story, and we will see what happens next. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Sample, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.